Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is a webinar, a class in philosophy, really, but we even go beyond philosophy to psychology, uh, sociology, accelerated learning, in other words, the larger field of education, as we seek an ever more complete uh, a deeper and more comprehensive understanding of who we are as unique individuals and what we're capable of doing individually and also collectively as humanity, as human beings. And uh, every week we do a different topic. This week our subject is the seven basic fears. And as I suggested in my newsletter that uh, you should have received a couple of days ago. Um, wouldn't it help us to manage our stress and our anxiety if we knew that there were really basically only seven root fears? At the source of all of our anxiety and stress, there's only seven different ways to be afraid. Now, this is my model. Um, there certainly are others who uh, have, oh, how, how shall I say, delineated, that's the word I'm looking for, made a list of what they consider to be primary fears or the list of basic fears. If you consult the Wallace Book of Lists, you'll see a list of fears. And there are usually situations or circumstances where you would find yourself uh, afraid or frightened. For example, the fear of death. Many people think that would rate rather high. I think it's actually six or seven on the list, the fear of death. But um, I think the number one fear, last time I checked, was the fear of public speaking the fear of doing exactly what I'm doing right now, which is talking to you, standing up in front of a group. And uh, whether you do that on the Internet or publicly, I've always done that with my radio programs and my public appearances. And so that's not one of my fears, but um, I think Steve has a saying, something like, uh, if our fear of public speaking is greater than our fear of death, and we'd rather be in the box than at the funeral, we'd rather be in the box than doing the eulogy. He says it better than that, but, you know, or fear of the dentist, or fear of spiders, or various phobias. Well, that's not really at all what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go deeper than that to the types of things that make us afraid and what to do in each case to manage, to moderate, or to mitigate those fears. Now, the first uh, distinction that I want to make here is that uh, fear is really about what we don't know rather than danger. There is such a thing as the fear of danger, and, and that's where we're going to begin. But... I want to bring to mind a quotation that goes to Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great American transcendentalist, writer, and speaker. And 
he said knowledge is the antidote to fear. Now, that's a beautiful quotation. In fact, it uh, is one that I printed up and framed and hung on my office wall for years in my practice in personal development and various forms of hypnotherapy. Knowledge is the antidote to fear. He didn't say that guns or bullets or violence is the antidote to fear. He didn't even say that money or power, leverage, status, or prestige, that any of those were the antidote to fear. He said very clearly and very simply that knowledge is the antidote to fear. Well, what does that say? It says that fear is rarely, if ever, about real danger. That fear is really about what you don't know. About the danger real, about the danger imagined, or even if you're just confused and you're pretty clear that there's no danger real or imagined here, you're just confused, that still leads to fear. And out of that can come all manner of bad judgments, uh, oversights, missed opportunities, uh, poor decisions, uh, and so on. Confusion. Because confusion and anxiety are a vicious cycle. Each promotes the other. In other words, to be confused is to feel scared. How many times has somebody said to you, what are you afraid of? And you had to admit that you didn't know. But few people have the insight to say at that time, well, that's the point. The reason you're afraid is because you don't know what you're afraid of. And like Emerson said 150 years ago or more, knowledge is the antidote. To know and to understand the thing that frightens you is to, in many cases, eliminate the fear altogether and in the rest of the cases certainly to mitigate or moderate the fear. Because fear is a feeling of being confused. Fear is a feeling of being ignorant. Fear is, I know, it's it's an insulting word. I apologize. I didn't say stupid. I, <laughs> I just, to be uninformed, to be unaware, right? So don't miss the point. What are you afraid of? I don't know. Well, that's why you're afraid. Oh, no, I'm afraid of the fear. Well, that's where the vicious cycle comes in. You can jump in at any point here. Are you uh, afraid because you're confused, or are you confused because you're afraid? And, yeah, (laughs) that's the nature of a vicious cycle, right? So where do you want to jump in? Well, I'm afraid. Well, that is confusing. The more fear, anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, nervousness, apprehension that you feel, um the more confused you're going to be. That's going to add to your confusion. But, of course, confusion is scary. So you experience that as fear. Fear of what? I don't know. I'm confused. So 
fear, that anxiety or stress, compounds the confusion, which compounds and feeds the feeling of fear, which makes you more confused and more afraid and more confused and more afraid. And that vicious cycle of fear and ignorance. Notice, fear is a feeling, ignorance is a mental state. It's two sides of the same coin, but it's a vicious circle, and it goes around and around and around. And if you got nothing more out of today's class than a real working awareness that all of our anxieties and our stresses and our worries and our apprehensions are rooted in confusion, things we do not know and do not understand very well, it would go a long way to eliminate the belief that there is some danger here at the root of the fear. Because that's what happens on a very basic level. There is this structure in the brain called the amygdala that creates a stimulus response um, mechanism called fight or flight that any time you're confused, the brain presumes that there must be some danger there. And this amygdala chokes you and creates this fight or flight. It's actually fight or flight or freeze or faint. That's what the amygdala does. It says you're confused, you're like a deer in the headlights, you don't know whether to run to the left, to the right, uh, to pass out and play dead like a possum. Um, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. And it's all a matter of degree. Most of us don't have to work very hard to recall times that we've said things or behaved in such a way in response to fear, stress, and anxiety that uh, embarrassed us or or created resentment or regret. You know, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. Well, why did I do that? Well, it's probably, in most cases, it's probably because the brain, with this response at the amygdala, is presuming that anything that's confusing has a high potential for danger in it. So, bottom line, the belief system that fear, apprehension, whatever you call it, a little bit of fear could be, well, could be denied, could be, well, I'm not really afraid, I'm just a little nervous, or I'm not terrified, I'm just anxious. All right, well, even a little bit of fear is still fear. Call it what it is. It's the F word. It's fear. And it's what you do not know that promotes it. It's quite likely that there is absolutely no danger causing your fear. There could be danger that results from being confused and frightened and anxious. Again, the danger in saying or doing something that you later regret because it was just a a knee-jerk reflex, uh, a reaction to the danger. So to consciously know now and to be able to remind yourself 
increasingly in the future, wait a minute, I'm feeling nervous or worried, a little apprehensive, not really afraid, but a little nervous, all the way to I'm terrified, remind yourself, this is not danger. This is not clear and present danger. This is something I do not understand. And so, as Emerson said, knowledge is the antidote to fear. And so there is a, another cycle. We did a webinar on this several months back, the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance, and the upward spiral, which is the antithesis. The vicious cycle of fear and ignorance pulls us down. Well, the antithesis would be love and understanding lifts us up. And isn't it curious that those two feed each other in the same way? That understanding promotes peace of mind, which is love as consciousness. Not simply love meaning a romantic feeling or, or an emotional affinity, but um, love as peace of mind, love as truth, love as light, love as awareness or consciousness, it comes out of understanding and promotes understanding in much the same way that fear has its relationship with confusion and ignorance. So loving promotes understanding. The, the more peaceful and relaxed you are, the safer you feel, the more likely you are to understand. Aha, the antidote to fear, knowledge, understanding, insight, which also allows you to enjoy more love, more peace of mind. You feel now even safer and more relaxed. Oh, I understand. So I Take a breath and, ah, oh, that's nice to understand. That allows me to relax, which promotes even more understanding and more love and peace of mind, more light and more awareness, you see. So just as fear and ignorance is a cycle, a vicious cycle, that pulls us down, down, down into the muck and mire of life, Love and understanding, also spiralic, also cyclic in nature, but it's uplifting. And so the question is, well, how do I get from one cycle to another? How do I go from the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance that I often find myself in or suffering from to this upward spiral of love and understanding? And there's two tracks. And again, I refer you to a program called The Vicious, I think I called it The Vicious Cycle and the Upward Spiral. You'll find it in the audio archives a few months back, and I go into this in greater detail. But there's two tracks. I think of it as like a railroad, RR, railroad. There's two tracks that lead you from the vicious cycle of fear to the upward spiral of love. And they are relaxation and responsibility. Both are words like railroad, relaxation, responsibility. Those are the two rails that will take you 
from the problem that underlies all problems, a vicious cycle of fear and ignorance, to the solution that must be a component of all solutions, the sweet, gentle aspiration of the upward spiral of love and understanding. To go from the problem that supports all problems to the solution that supports all solutions requires but two things, relaxation and responsibility. And for those of you taking notes, that's a, that's a good thing to write down, to remember in case you forget. I know it's simple enough, but some part of you does not want you to grow. <laughs> the ego, basically the false self, does not want you to grow and understand. So it could conveniently forget how simple it is. Relaxation, as in stress management or meditation, contemplation, introspection, pondering. I like the word reflection. Coffee's getting cold. And what's the other one? That's right, responsibility. The ability to choose your response, to be a choice, to relax and to make choices. It's, this, it's, the, it's the secret of managing fear. Well, let's branch out from this or spring forward from this to talk about the seven root fears, the seven primary sources of fear because as you understand this little model and that's all it is this is not you know carved in granite any place it's just my particular paradigm and hopefully it'll work for you you'll uh, a lot of people have found value in this over the years it these seven really need to be understood as number one real clear and present danger and the other six are all things unknown and confusing, as we've just discussed. So this whole idea of the vicious cycle and the upward spiral applies to six of the seven fears. Six of the seven root fears, or basic fears we'll talk about in today's class, fall into this category of things unknown, which promotes more fear and more confusion and you need an application of relaxation and responsibility to lift that into, and this is the essence of magic, really. This is the essence of salvation and resurrection and redemption. This is water to wine. This is lead to gold. Relaxation and ownership, making it about yourself. All right. In six of the seven instances, we, we really have to start with the acknowledgement the first of the seven root fears has to be that there is such a thing as real, clear, and present danger. It's exceedingly rare in our lives, but it's real. If you've ever had somebody point a gun at you, right? You ever go hunting with Dick Cheney? Uh, that's real danger. Somebody's pointing a gun at you. Or if you you know, encounter a grizzly bear, 
not a California brown bear. They go away if you, if you yell at them. But a grizzly bear, they don't run away. They, that's a, a very dangerous situation. Um, a rabid, you know, dog in the alleyway, a junkyard dog that's snarling and drooling and appears to be all mangy and rabid and it wants you. That's real, clear and present danger. Uh, the idea that it's April 14th and you haven't done your taxes yet may be stressful, but that's not real danger, right? You might have to pay a fine or be inconvenienced, but nobody's going to kill you or shoot you, right? And again, knowledge would be the antidote, the knowledge that I can do my taxes before the 15th, I can get them done, I can file for an extension, I could say I'm sorry, I could pay the fine. Knowledge is the antidote. Again, thanks to Ralph Waldo Emerson for that. Uh, you can see why Thoreau studied with Emerson. Pretty bright guy. So as we begin our list of the seven root fears, or the seven most basic fears in our lives, the first has to be real, clear, and present danger. The second root fear is imaginary danger. I think I'm in real danger, but I'm not sure. What would be an example of imaginary danger? Well, first thing that comes to my mind, because again, as a, as a professional in the personal development field, a hypnotherapist, a meditation teacher, I spent lots of times, uh, lots of time and lots of times helping people with their fears and their phobias, which are, again, largely imaginary. And a common one is the fear of flying. Fear of flying is a great example of the second kind of fear, which is fear of imaginary danger, or you could say imaginary fear of danger. You say, well, Aren't airplanes dangerous? Couldn't I fall? Well, not really. I mean, um, airplanes are supported by air. They don't just fall out of the sky. Um, you say, well, what if the engine stops? Well, there's more than one engine. Well, what if they all stop? Well, then you land. You don't just fall out of the sky. Like Sully Sullenberger, wasn't that his name, that landed on the Hudson River? A couple of weeks ago, he lost all power in both engines. And uh, he wasn't going very fast. He'd just taken off. But he flew an airplane with no engines because it coasted. It glided on a cushion of air. When you're in a boat, you might be afraid of falling off the boat and drowning, but few people are afraid that the ocean is going to suddenly open you up and drop you to the bottom. Well, the same thing with the atmosphere. It's not going to suddenly drop the airplane. It just doesn't happen. So statistically, especially if you watch, you know, <laughs> I always am impressed by those maps that you see on TV. On uh, What is it, the Weather Channel or the Morning News where they show the maps of all the airplanes that are in the air at, at, at any given time and it might just be a map of the United States, but there's thousands 
of little blips, thousands of airplanes in the air all the time. And you hardly ever hear of an airplane crash, right? And if you do, it's uh, not because the airplane suddenly fell out of the sky, right? There are reasons that airplanes crash, and I, I know I have to go over all of those, but the point is you're safer on the airplane than you were driving to the airport. You're safer on any given airplane than you would be strapped into a Volvo driving through a cornfield in Kansas. And yet, you look out the window, and you're 35,000 feet in the air, and you can barely make out the features on the earth below you, it certainly feels dangerous. And if you start visualizing or remembering in your mind's eye videos that you've seen of airplane crashes, well, that can... Remember, the imagination does not know the difference between real or imagined. This is a great benefit in the movie theater when simple shadows on the wall become real enough and the shadows of your mind become real enough and people start to hyperventilate and many people have a real tough time on an airplane. Not because of real danger, that's number one but because of imaginary danger, number two. So this is all of our phobias. Uh, people are afraid of spiders. Why? Well, they're creepy crawly. They're icky. One of the torture techniques that Bush and Cheney liked to use was to lock people into a box. By the way, these are people that have not had any trial and there have been no charges filed whatsoever, just people that have been kidnapped locked into a box with uh, spiders and caterpillars and creepy crawly things. In fact, one of the favorite things that Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld had them do was use a caterpillar because, number one, the box, uh, they were locked in a box. They couldn't see that it was only a caterpillar, right? Um, that the worst thing that would happen is that it turns into a butterfly, it's not going to eat you. But a caterpillar, you can feel a caterpillar crawling on you, whereas spiders might crawl all over you. A poisonous spider might actually be dangerous, but you don't feel it. And the job of torture, of course, is to terrify and to break somebody down, to break their will, to break their spirit. It never works. It rarely ever works. And even when it does work, you get bad information and it looks like that's what they wanted in this torture case was bad information. Anyway, they were ginning up their case to invade Iraq. They were not trying to make America safe from anything. So they used caterpillars because you can feel them. Again, playing on number two, imaginary fear. All right? So, or imaginary danger. That's what I mean to say. The second fear is imaginary danger. So these are the first two of the seven. Remember, I'm saying the first of these fears, real, clear, and present danger, is the only one of the seven fears that is dangerous. The other six are things unknown, right? And number two 
is one of those unknowns. So the, the first fear is real, clear, and present danger. The second of the seven basic fears is, I don't know if the fear that I'm feeling is the result of real, clear, and present danger or not. I don't know if the danger is real. It feels up in this airplane like I'm in real danger, like I could fall out of the sky. And the conscious mind might argue rationally, look, you know you're safer in this airplane than you were in the car. You're safer in the airplane than you were walking through the terminal. You're safer in the airplane than you than you are doing almost anything, except maybe being in bed with the covers over your head. Is one of the safest things you could possibly do, but it feels frightening because of the confusion, because you don't know. You don't understand aerodynamics. Or some might say because you're not in control. Aha, now you've anticipated the third of the seven root fears. So one is danger, six are things unknown, and now you know the first three. Clear and present danger, real danger. Number two, imaginary danger. I just don't know if this situation is dangerous or not. All right. And number three is control. I don't know how much control I have in this situation. All right. Now, control is a big issue. And when I get in a minute to number four, Number four could actually be seen as part of this, as part of control. I actually could combine number four with number three and make it the six root fears, but I'll tell you why in a minute. When we get to number four, I give it its own. But control is huge. It's um, It would be pretty easy to create uh, a definition of fear anxiety, and stress around the word control, right? Um, Much of our lives is a struggle for control. We want to, well, we want to see what we're doing. If you're a visual, you you want to hear the feedback that says you're doing a good job if you're an auditory and you want to Get your hands on things. If you're a kinesthetic, you want to get a grip. In either case, I want to see it. I want to hear it. I want to feel it. I want to know that I am in control. And yet there's just many instances, many, many, many countless occasions where you are not going to be in control of what happens to you where you are not going to be in control of the stimulus, where you are going to feel like a target or a victim or an effect of life. And maybe you have a a shield of some sort. For most of us, that's simply muscular tension. And maybe you have a strategy where you can avoid some sort of avoidance behavior where you could sidestep like a matador in the ring with the bull at the last minute, sidestep the direct hit. But our ability to influence, to 
persuade, to control other people is minimal. That's one reason that guns are so popular uh, where they're legal, like the United States, and why more more people were killed by friends and neighbors than have been killed in Afghanistan and Iraq in the same time period. Are you aware of that? Do you know that? That more people have been killed with guns in the United States by their friends and their neighbors that have been killed in Afghanistan and Iraq combined since 9-11. I ask you, where is the war? It's between people who know and love each other, mostly. right? There's not the kind of profit in killing your wife or your husband or the guy down the block that there is in institutional war. That's where the big money is. That's why that continues. But in terms of the death toll, it's mostly people being killed by people they know and love, right? Um, that's the, the sick truth of this little sidebar here that I'll not go into any further. But since we're talking about fear and real danger and imaginary danger, it's worth mentioning, I think. So the secret to control, and we've talked about this in the past, and no doubt we'll continue to talk about it in the future, that in the cause and effect or stimulus response of things, there is with humanity a potential middle, which is perspective, point of view, attitude. This is the point of management, where you're in charge, uh, or could be, of reflecting on this is where I take control. If you cannot control the stimulus, at least you can control your perception and response. How you look at it, the attitude to wax philosophical, to reframe it, to look at it from a different point of view, those choices, that control is available to you. <clears throat> Even though controlling what's being done to you is largely out of your hands. And response, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? What is your, again, response? Or reaction would suggest that there is no middle point. A reaction is just, it's called stimulus response, but if there's no perception, if there's no conscious reflection, then the response is really a reaction. It's an impulse. It's a reflex. All right, And that's most of us. Most of the time, we don't use the brains we've been given. That second level of thinking that allows us to choose whether to agree or disagree with a thought. To choose whether we accept or reject an impulse to say a certain thing or behave in a certain way. And if you are the impulse or you are the reaction you're not going to have nearly as happy, successful, 
or fulfilling a life that you could have as you learn to be the one who agrees or disagrees and says, that's a good idea, I'm going to move forward on that. That impulse is a very bad idea, and I'm going to take a breath ah, and relax and look for options and alternatives, right? So control is not to be found in the area of stimulus, but in the area of perception and response. Rarely can you influence what's being done to you, but you can influence how you look at it and what you do with it. I find this to be uh, exceedingly important entry point into critical thinking, into the development of consciousness, to simply say, I have choices. And my choices are in these two areas, perspective or point of view and response. My point of view and my response, my attitude and my response, I do have some choice. I do have control. It's just in what's being done to me, the initial stimulus that's coming at me, that I might be able to influence a little bit or duck and dodge somewhat, but uh, it's like the weather. The simple example is the weather. You, you cannot control the weather. But you do have control over your perception, hmm, storm clouds brewing on the horizon, and the response. I think I'll take a sweater, a heavy jacket, and an umbrella with me today. All right. But you can't control the weather. You see? Uh, in navigation, one of my favorite quotations in this regard comes from sailing. And the sailor says, I cannot control the wind, so I trim my sails. You can sail into the wind by zigzagging or tacking back and forth little by little. You can actually sail into the wind, much less at right angles, much less with the wind. That's easy. I can't control the wind. But I can trim my sails. I can adjust the sails. I can fine-tune the sails. You see? This is a very important lesson in life. And addresses the fear. The third root fear of I have no control. You may have no control over other people. You may have no control over fate or providence or destiny, but you do have control. You have choices when it comes to your point of view, how you frame it, and your response, what you choose to do with it. So remembering that can be a big relief in number three. All right? So real danger, number one. Number two, the appearance of danger, imaginary danger. I don't know if the danger is real or not. And number three, I don't know. My fear comes from I don't know how to control this or where my control is. Three of the four root fears. Now, let's go to number four. The fourth, I said, could be included in number three. 
but I give it its own <laughs> its own place in the model because I think it's so critical, uh, such an important factor in so many of our lives, and that's simply time. The tick of the clock, the illusion that there is a past that somehow exists, or that there is a future that somehow has its own existence, which of course is simply a convention of mind. The idea of past and future is simply a way of organizing information in your head. There is in fact no such thing as the past, nor is there any reality to future. There is only the eternal instant, the, the pulse point of life, which, make no mistake, has its rhythm. A lot of beginners get confused about this. Time does not exist, but rhythm does exist. Okay? You can find rhythm in all things. In music, obviously, there is rhythm. Uh, Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. There is a rhythm in spring, summer, fall, and winter. There is a rhythm in the earth revolving on its axis once every 24 hours and circling the sun once every 12 months or so. There is rhythm. There is an in-breath and an out-breath. There is the cyclic peak and valley of the waves. Think of standing on the shore of the ocean, and the wave crashes. And then there is a trough that allows the water to drain back down the beach, back into the ocean, until here comes another wave crashing in. So, Time has its rhythm, its in-breath, its out-breath, its cyclic nature, no question. But the idea of that which once was still existing, or that which is yet to be coming at us from the future, is a convention of mind. It's the fourth dimension uh, that's as an illusionary as the first three, the idea of space. Time and space are part of a continuum or a spectrum that help us define and relate to three-dimensional form. Um, so there's height, width, depth, the three dimensions of space, plus the fourth dimension of time, but essentially they're illusionary. So what is there to fear in time? The belief that there's not enough of it. And you talk about nonspecific anxiety. Talk about stress. Talk about what are you really afraid of. It's not controlling the time. So I could have put time in number three with control and had the six root fears, but I think hurry up sickness is big enough that it gets its own category. It's about control, but I'm going to call it the fourth fear. I don't have the time. Yes, you do. People say, well, 
I'm in a hurry because I have to work. You follow those people on the vacation. They're still in a hurry. You're on vacation. What's the hurry? Well, I'm in a hurry to relax. I'm in a, <laughs> I'm in a hurry to enjoy myself. I'm in a hurry because the time will come when I have to go back to work. Yeah, the time will come when you have to recover from the exhausting vacation you just had. And what happens if we do just sit? People find simply sitting and observing themselves to be very uncomfortable, even disconcerting, even stressful. And so they get busy distracting themselves from the reality of the only thing that's real, this instant, this eternal pinpoint of time that has pulse and has vibration, but is not going anywhere. So learn to sit in it and learn to be here now and go slow. You know, um, I think you'll find enormous rewards. All of the wisest women and men of all cultures and all times, the ageless wisdom has its point of power in now. This is all you've had. It's all you'll ever get. It's all you've got is the power in now. And one of the curious things about acknowledging the reality of the present moment as eternal is it's generally fearless. And you'll find that the fear in your life is 99.99999% coming from the past or the future. That's the source of your fear. Your past regrets and resentments the traumas that you suffered through in the past that you insist on dragging into the future as if that's going to protect you somehow. And then to project that even further into the future and anticipate some dreaded event happening again, which only makes it more likely that you'll attract it by virtue of the fact that you put your attention on it. Why would you do that? It's this odd rationalization the mind often makes that the way to be safe is to feel afraid. That feeling afraid makes you safe. <clears throat> and boy, if, if, if that's not nonsense, if that's not a conundrum, but almost everybody in the world believes it, the way to be safe is to feel afraid. <laughs> no, the way to create danger is to put your attention on it. The way to feel safe and to be safe, I'll say it this way, the way to be safe is to feel safe. And then you attract that, you see. Not to the point of being stupid, foolish, and naive, feeling safe while you wander through traffic, walking on the 405 or something ridiculous, but it's funny how the mind jumps to the extreme to prove the extreme, right? And the exception proves the rule here. You cannot feel safe by pondering danger. The way to feel safe 
is to reflect on how does it feel right now to be safe. That means not to be in a hurry. This is your life. You don't know if you get another one. Uh, you, you don't know for sure what is life after death. You don't know that promise. Uh, I could say I know, you could say you know, I could acknowledge that you know, or vice versa, but the point is we don't know. We have a lot of assumption. I think the best way to know that you are eternal is through meditation and mindfulness. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Be here now. Not be here yesterday or be here tomorrow. Not use now to wallow in yesterday or worry. You know, I'll say this. There there are times to learn from the past. And there certainly are times to plan the future. Just do it from the here and now. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Learn from the past. Plan your future. But remember that John Lennon line, you know, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. Goals are fine, plans are fine, but it's ready, aim, fire, aim, 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 aim. you got to be flexible. Keep your balance. You never know what's in the offing, right? The future is not fixed. So those are the first four. And these are the least important of the seven. Real danger. Number two, I don't know if the danger is real or not. Number three, I don't know if I am in control of this circumstance or situation. And number four, I don't know if I have enough time. You see, those are the first four. One real danger and three I don't knows. We've got three more left that I'm going to hit on very quickly, even though they're the most important. Here come five, six, and seven. And there are three more I don't knows. Remember, because fear, except for the exceedingly rare, clear and present danger, is in two, three, four, five, six, and seven, things we don't know, things about which we're confused and ignorant. So five, six, and seven is I don't know what to do, because I don't know what I want. And then the big one, drum roll, trumpet fanfare. I can hear some of you saying it already in my mind, because I don't know who I am. Five, six, and seven, fear of the unknown. I don't know what to do because I don't know what I want because I don't know who I am. I don't know why I feel the way I feel. I don't know why I think the things I think. I don't know why I do many of the things that I do. So I think I'll spend my life figuring out other people. I'll figure out why they want what they want. I'll take a look at what they do. I'll take a look at who I think they are. I will obsess on what other people think. Pretty common, isn't it? You've done it yourself. You know people who obsess on what other people think, who are terrified 
about what other people might think or what other people do or what other people want or what's fashionable or what other people care about. My friends, nothing could be more irrelevant, completely, totally irrelevant to your life than what other people are doing. It is a distraction from your life. It is the cause of the majority of the fear, anxiety, and stress in your life that you're trying to figure out other people to control them, to control circumstances and events in your life, to try to control what you cannot control And while you're busy being about that, you overlook, who am I? What do I want? And what should I do about it? That's seven, six, and five. Who am I? What do I want? And what should I do about it? To hell with Bill and Joe and Sally and what other people will think. You have absolutely no control over what other people think or what they feel or, for the most part, what they do. And yet, most people spend their entire lives obsessing on that. I'd like you to consider the possibility that that is a prime distraction that the ego has created to prevent you from discovering that your ego is not who you really are. That the ego, to prevent you from discovering the truth of who you are as a spiritual being, will distract you and cause you through stress and anxiety to obsess on everything but you, which is other people, events, circumstances, the world around you largely to the exclusion of who am I? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I think the way I think? Why do I do the crazy things I do? Who am I? And what do I want? And what do I need to do to get it? Most people, if uh, if they address any of the three, it's the third one. Fear number five, what do I do to get it? And the ego says, well, you have to control other people, which feeds into fear number three. You've got to control them, and you better hurry up, which is fear number four, and control other people. The biggest fears in our lives are those that come from not understanding who you are. And for most people, being afraid of the truth. I don't want to know who I am. What if I find out that my critical parents were right? And I really am bad, stupid, ugly, clumsy, inadequate. What if they're right? I'm afraid I'll find out. (laughs) Well, the truth is, (laughs) oh, Lord, I can guarantee you, I don't know how to prove this to you, but I promise you, the universe does not create junk. 
the more you know the truth about who you are, why you think and act and feel the way you do, the more you understand who you are, what you want, and what to do about it, the more you're going to like yourself, the more you're going to love yourself, and the humbler you will be. Arrogance, um, conceit, acting pompous and full of yourself is not the result of knowing who you are. It comes from not knowing who you are and having to put on a front, an eminent front. It's a put-on, adultery sings. That's what the ego is. It's a mask. The word persona means mask. It's a put-on. It's a front. It's a character. Do you realize that the majority of people in the world live their whole lives as a character, as a role? As if they're actors trying to perform and please other people and they never really check out the truth of who they really are? So how could you, I mean, how can you know what to do if you don't know what you want? People say, I have a problem. What makes it a problem? Well, I don't know what to do. I wish I knew what to do. What do you think I should do? Well, what do you want me to do about it? I don't know what to do. Well, how could you know what to do if you don't know what you want? Well, why don't we know what we want? Because most people are playing victim. They didn't know they had a choice. You see? So I have to know what I want in order to know what to do. But how could you know what you want if you don't know who the person is doing the wanting? So these three go together. They're inextricably linked. You cannot know what to do if you don't know what you want. And you can't know what you want, much less what to do, if you don't know the individual doing the wanting and doing the doing. You have to know yourself. Know thyself. And how do you do that? You do that by coming to classes like this. Congratulations. You do that by reading and study. You do it by uh, meditation. And we'll do an exercise in just a few minutes. And you do it by becoming mindful, by staying awake, by waking up and staying awake. By getting up in the morning and then waking up a second time. You wake up the physical body, but then you have to wake up the heart and mind. You have to wake up the soul. You have to say, I am in this world, but not of it. And I can reflect upon my emotions, and I can reflect upon my behavior, and I can reflect upon my thinking And I can make better choices. I can decide what do I want to do. That's mindfulness. Simply said, to make choices whether to agree or disagree with your thoughts. So, the seven root fears, one of which is real danger, the other six are things unknown. The first one, real clear and present danger, 
Number two, I don't know if the danger is real or imagined. Number three, I don't know if I have any control or where I have control or how much control or who's in control. Number four, I don't know if I have enough time, I may be running out of time. <laughs> and then five, six, and seven, I don't know what to do. Because number six, I don't know what I want. I don't have a goal or outcome in mind. Because number seven, dun dun dun, trumpet, tan, pair, drum roll, I don't know who I am. The biggest fear of all. The fear that encompasses all of the other fears. The stress underneath all the stress, the anxiety behind all the confusion. I don't know me. I'm so interested in knowing the world around me that I know nothing about me. It's like being interested in all the radio stations and knowing nothing about the radio. Suddenly you find a switch that goes from AM to FM and you say, I didn't know all these other stations were here. Read the owner's manual. If you're interested in the radio stations, learn about the radio. If you, if you want to do things with the computer, learn about the computer. If you want to live in the world in a growthful, successful, and fulfilling way, know thyself. And do it with study, meditation, and mindfulness. Let's go to your questions and your comments. Uh, again, if you're listening to a replay, then you're in our future. Even though I said you don't exist, um, you can't participate. If you're on the telephone, welcome. Nice to have you listening live today. Um, but we have to meet you out for obvious reasons. But if you're listening live and on the web then you'll find on the page in front of you a box where you can type in a question, a comment. I'd love to get a, at least a first name from you, if not your full name, because I know so many of you personally. And the city where you have found yourself to be today. And then hit the submit button, pass it on through, and uh, let's say hi to a few of the folks here. And then we'll do our visualization or guided imagery exercise. We have a nice turnout today, and I want to thank you all for being here. In La Habra, Carol is with us, Carol Postel, and she says hello again, Michael and Doreen. Hello, Carol. And uh, in Honolulu, just up the street a bit, Bert is with us today, and he says hello, Michael. Thank you for your talk today. Keep up the good work. Best wishes. And aloha to you and Doreen, and aloha to you, Bert. Haven't seen Bert in a number of years. I don't get to Honolulu much, Bert, but I'll look you up next time I'm over there. And if you find yourself on Maui, do the same thing. They got rid of the boat out here, you guys. I don't know how many mainlanders are aware that for a while there was a ferry here a couple of years ago, the super ferry, one big boat, car ferry came in, and the upside was that islanders finally, Hawaiians finally had an alternative to airplanes to get between islands, and a lot of folks do that, you know, on a regular basis. Well, um, 
like so many things in our society, uh, the whole process was corrupted. And I won't dwell on the story, but I think it's an interesting story of corruption. Um, the business people that brought it in were pushing hard. We had a Republican governor, still do have a Republican governor in Hawaii. She got on board with the super ferry. And they, through various manipulations of ordinance and statute, uh, they started operation without an environmental impact report. And uh, so finally it was adjudicated to the point that the court said, no, you cannot operate without an environmental impact report. In fact, you've already violated the law. And uh, the company did not want to do the environmental impact report uh, for fear that they were going to have a negative impact mostly on whales and dolphins. and If you think about what you know of the way ocean-going mammals, cetaceans, dolphins, whales, use sonar under the water and can hear thousands of miles, then put, you know, 30,000 boats in the water all around the ocean, and it's pretty noisy. And then add the super ferry, and this is one big boat, so... Anyway, the super ferry's gone now, so we're back to flying between islands. So one of these days, Bert, you and I will hook up either Honolulu or uh, or Maui. Nice to hear from you, though. In Tucson, Arizona, high and dry in Tucson, Lorelei Hatch says, Aloha, Michael, excellent class is always ready to make my week about me for me. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thank you, Lorelei. If you don't, who will, right? <laughs> Again, I know the fear. The, one, of, one of the greatest fears that people generally have about self-improvement and personal development is this concern that they'll end up with a big ego, and they'll think they're too cool. They'll, they'll love themselves too much, and then... Nobody else will like them. And of course, the opposite is true. The more you know about yourself, the more humble um, and the less arrogant you become. You begin to pursue what in Hawaii we call the aloha spirit, which is basically goodness and kindness, love and compassion. Aloha is the same as Tibetan Buddhism. It's loving kindness and compassion pretty easy uh, to understand. It's not always easy to practice, but it's just, it's to me, the Trinity is from the bottom up kindness, love, compassion. Um, kindness would, would be uh, the behavior in physical dance. Love is the soul or the center of things. And compassion corresponds to the father aspect of all that which is divine to experience love even for your enemy um, based on their suffering as an enemy you know when you can go to compassion um, amazing doors open for you your anger will dissolve you can be free from anger completely with compassion, but it hurts. 
it hurts to love on that level. You have, that, that's what makes a saint so saint-like is, is the pain of loving that much. But it's an, it's an ecstasy. It's a paradox because at the same time it's bliss. You know, there's another trinity there, I guess. Happiness, joy, and bliss is sort of like kindness, love, and compassion. Third ray, second ray, first ray for the theosophists uh, that may be with us today. Uh, let's see. In addition to Lorelei, we have Robert, Robert Siegel in Irvine, California. Aloha, Michael. Great topic. He hit the nail on the head. You should write a book. It would be a bestseller. P.S. Watch out. The fear mongers are on the move with swine flu news. Have a great week. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of that. <coughs> Boy, they got to have something. You know, as a, as a uh, journalist, I can certainly attest to uh, that whole mentality. If it bleeds, it leads. Let's let's use fear uh, to lead the news. Uh, you know, it has a practical side to it. I remember Walter Cronkite saying a long time ago, look, um, I'd like to report good news, but it's a little like, um, it's a little paradoxical. Good and news are almost exclusive concepts. He said, I can't report all the dogs that were not lost today, right? The lost dog being the news, or, or uh, you know, dog bites man is not a news story, but man bites dog, that's a news story. And uh, so by its nature, news is going to be negative, but they do go out of their way to find stuff to scare you with. Uh, Bill Maher pointed that out Friday. And, uh, what would we do without Bill Maher? Uh, I don't agree with everything he says, but I sure love Bill Maher. And he said, yeah, they're ginning up the fear with the swine flu. Well, don't sleep with pigs, and I think you'll be okay. I wouldn't worry too much about it. To me, the number one cause of the flu in my personal experience, flu shots. I stopped taking flu shots. I stopped getting the flu. All right, Robert, thanks for that. Uh, Ginger is with us today from England. Hello, Ginger, and good evening. She says, aloha, Michael, and aloha, Doreen, from the U.K. Hi, Ginger. Thanks for being with us live today. Another Robert, also in Irvine. This is my ham radio friend, uh, uh, KW6B, Robert says, Aloha, Michael. Absolute gold, and you've given me much to ponder over the next week, and then some, and longer. In my own life, I find my fear of control comes from being bullied as a kid, and my fear of time expresses itself most at work. And thank you for the wisdom, and I know by relaxing and quieting the mind, I learn more about myself. And he's capitalized self. Thank you for that. And I'm able to choose wise and sometimes humorous responses in each situation. Wonderful. Well said. Thank you, Robert. Let me refresh the screen. And I guess that's pretty much it for the comments. You can add. I'll check again before I pull the plug in about 15 minutes. So you can still add them if you want. And I'll refresh the screen later. 
But let's do our uh, visualization exercise here, and then we'll let you go before the 30 mark. Again, thanks very much for being with us here today in the Mystery School. And I want to encourage you to invite your friends to forward the newsletter you get every Friday. To remember if uh, you don't get the newsletter or you misplace the newsletter, that just by going to theagelesswisdom.com, you can click on, well, it's very simple. You click on home page to go inside, and then web teleconferences. You see a, a listing of links on the left side when you go inside. Just choose web teleconferences, and the archive is there. It's there in advance of the upcoming program, and then all the past programs are listed under web teleconferences. So theagelesswisdom.com, click on homepage to go inside, then web teleconferences to see the audio archives. And there's also a send one to a friend uh, link in there, and I want to encourage you to do that too. Forward the replay of this program to somebody that you think will really benefit from it. That We say you can change the world doing that. We think that's a very important thing to do. If Susan Boyle can get a hundred million hits, well, you know, <laughs> that's all because people care and they're emotionally impressed. And you got to see this Susan Boyle video, and within a week, a hundred million hits. Now, if we could get people to care that much about peace and justice, you see and about discovering the truth of who they are, because we know what people are going to discover about themselves as they come to know themselves. Nobody would tolerate torture uh, for two seconds. Even these guys on Fox News would have, you know, like Shepard Smith had this little nervous breakdown on Fox News. He just couldn't lie anymore. I don't know if you guys saw the soundbite, but... This guy's been on Fox News for six or seven years, and he had a mental breakdown, screaming, we do not torture in America. And then he used the F word on Fox News. This is one of their, he couldn't, he couldn't lie anymore. He couldn't, he couldn't, you know, hide his light under a bushel. He, he, he just freaked out. And, I mean, he, he may have lost his job, but he certainly regained his self-respect or certainly gained my respect uh, he had a similar little episode around Katrina I, I, I don't know how he survived over there with uh, the likes of Sean Hannity and, and Bill O'Reilly but every once in a while in the strangest of places you find a warm beating heart and a, and, and a conscience in there so uh, that was pretty cool all right, close your eyes, take a slow, deep breath. Uh, get comfortable. Align yourself vertically. Balanced. Not erect as in rigid, but straight, aligned, as in balanced and receptive. Take another slow, deep breath. Inhaling strength and power, hold as you peak, and as you exhale, ah, create and sense 
a feeling of letting go, feeling very safe and very relaxed, which allows you to let go even more, feeling safer still and even more relaxed. Muscles relaxing and unwinding allow your breathing now just to find a natural rhythm and let your body breathe itself. As you create and sense throughout your body, from head to toe, to the soles of your feet. It's interesting, Antandre, the soles of your feet. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Create and sense a letting go, feeling that safe. Ah that relaxed, standing open and receptive. Go a little farther with this by imagining in your mind's eye, with your eyes closed, simply visualizing or sensing, however you do, that you are in fact in a beautiful place, a place of peace and safety, a a place of ideal relaxation. Maybe in nature, far from the roads, farther still from the cities. And you allow my voice to lead you and to guide you. And you hear, in addition to the sound of my voice, birds singing. And immediately you imagine hearing birds singing and that's exactly the right feeling. But, Michael, I'm making it up. That's exactly right. It's even more to the point just allowing. It's not even working at making it up. It's just remembering how, how the birds sound when they sing. Oh, yeah. There you go. And how about the wind in the tops of the tallest trees? You've been that far away from the cities. You've been that far away from the roads and the parking lots that you heard the birds and the wind and the trees. You saw the sunlight dappling down through the trees in such a magical way. And moving into the sunlight, perhaps you feel the gentle warmth upon your face and your and your arms. And as you move back into the shade or a cool forested place, you feel that as well. Even smelling the fragrances. Again, you're making it up. That's fine. That's exactly right. Allow yourself to imagine that you can smell the wonderful fragrances of nature. As you sit yourself down in this beautiful wilderness, this natural paradise, this Eden, sitting upon the earth and feeling rooted or plugged into the earth, it's important to feel grounded. As if like a tree or a bush, you have roots that reach into the earth. And it is not an effort that you make. It is an awareness 
that you are grounded, that you share the ground of the one life, and you feel yourself rooted in that ground. Sitting as you are, balanced and centered and receptive. Now, if I said to you, do not think of a rose, a beautiful rose would pop into your mind. If I said, do not think of a unicorn, there it is, <laughs> right there in front of you. But I said, do not think of a unicorn, and there it is again. You see? Do not think of a rainbow one of the most beautiful rainbows you've ever imagined pops into your mind as a way of responding to do not think of a rose or a unicorn or a rainbow. And so if I say to you, do not be afraid, you will remember fear. You will remember anxiety. You will remember nervousness and uncertainty, and we all know that. You may know it as anger. You may know it as general anxiety, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You may know it as hatred or vengeance. You may know it as sadness and depression. You may know it as real, naked fear. But we don't manage fear by refusing to think of fear. We manage fear by remembering it is born of ignorance and confusion and what we do not know about things and so we put our attention on awareness to know in the same way that sunlight or any form of light evaporates the darkness there is no struggle between the antithesis of light and dark the darkness is the absence of the light there is no power in darkness not really. It exists only as the absence of light, so light itself shatters the darkness. And so it is that understanding, understanding yourself mostly, understanding the nature of you as a kind, loving, compassionate being, sensitive and caring, that's the light that eradicates all fear. Know yourself. That you might know what you want to do with this life, to do with this self, so that you might know what to do. And as you understand yourself and what you want, and what to do about it. 
then it's much easier to manage fears of time and control, imaginary danger, and even real danger, the exceedingly rare, real, clear, and present danger. The ancient Greeks said it, know thyself. Confucius said it in China. Lao Tzu said it in China about the same time. Know thyself. Anytime you find yourself being concerned about what others think, take a breath, and as you exhale, relax and let it go. And ask yourself, what do I care about? Say to yourself, I am the one that cares. I am the one that loves. I am the one that cares. Take a slow, deep breath, filling your lungs with strength and power. And as you exhale, relax. And when you're ready, open your eyes, wide awake and alert, rested and refreshed and back in the room, feeling fine, and bringing with you this wonderful awareness, this sensitivity. I am that. I am. I am the one that cares. I am kindness and love and compassion. Only seven fears, only one fear. And it's just what we don't know. Emerson was right. Knowledge, understanding. He didn't go all the way. Ultimately, understanding yourself is the antidote to fear. For if you knew that self, and as you come to know that self, you find there is no separation. There is no other. And there is no thing to fear. It's a beautiful, liberating level of enlightenment. And yet needs to be, you know, like the shampoo bottle, lather, rinse, repeat. It, <laughs> excuse me. It, it needs reapplication because something will happen in your life. You get sucked into it. You get nervous. You get worried. Oh my God, what will other people think? I, I don't have any control. I'm running out of time. I don't know what to do. Now you know what to do. Take a breath. <laughs> Relax. Go back to your place of perfect peace. Ground yourself. Put your attention on what it is you think you're afraid of. Stare at the heart of darkness. Face it. Identify its nothingness. Come into the present moment. Am I safe now? Yes. And then see that all of this confusion, ignorance, and anxiety is born from a failure to understand the truth of who you are. And there's your mission in life. If that's the only thing you did in your life, 
If that was the most important thing, even more important than wanting to be of service to other people, for how could you know anything about how to be of service to other people if you didn't know what you had to offer? Everybody knows they want to help other people. Well, not everybody. Lots of people want to exploit other people, but do you know that the best way to help another is to put yourself first? No. Most people have a problem with that because the self feels selfish, separated. But that's not the self you will come to know. That's where you begin. But then a capital S self, like Robert put in his in his response today, the capital S self, or Steve and I put it in all capital letters, S-E-L-F, that self is not separated. And that self knows no fear. And as you know that self, you find your power. And you can be in the world, but not of it. You can be mindful. And then, lather, rinse, repeat. Keep doing it. Continue the study. Hopefully you'll continue to come here and tell your friends about it too. And do your meditation. And be mindful in your daily life and affairs. That's it for today. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you being here. Join us every Sunday at 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock in the East. It's uh, 20 hours GMT, or UTC as they now say. And uh, also check out FocusedPassion.com. If you believe in these programs, all of which are free, the articles under Wisdom Nuggets are free. We've got seven free programs at FocusedPassion.com, including the How to Learn series, the uh, mini-series called the Family Learning Hour. All of that is free. And if you would like to make a donation of just 99 cents a month, you can do that at FocusedPassion.com. And then that collection of premium programs that Steve and I do together every week will grow from 6 to 7 to 8 to 9 to 10 to 11. And you can send those to as many people as you want for no fee, no charge whatsoever. Be a contributor, please, if this makes sense to you. If you can find $4 a month, right, three ninety-six a month, means a lot. It's not a lot of money, but it really adds up. FocusedPassion.com. If you have any question about how to use the site, don't hesitate to send me an email or to give me a phone call. My email and telephone number is all over both sites, focusedfashion.com and theagelesswisdom.com. Talk to you next Sunday. Aloha from Maui. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other.